Welcome to Ride Ever Stride, episode 61. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis, a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I'm here again with Master Horseman Van Hargis. Hey, Van, what's up? Hey, Miss Laura. Everything is just absolutely peachy. Tell you what, I, I'm just, I, I said it last week. We're going to say it again. I am pumped and stoked to be able to re- be recording these uh, podcasts again. And I, I want to say it again. I'm just so grateful to all the folks that's been sending us their messages out there asking when we're going to start recording. And, and uh, so here we are. We're back at it. And I couldn't be happier to be recording. And Laura, at the same time, I really appreciate you being the co-host. You do such a wonderful job. And quite frankly, in case I haven't told you before, we get lots of people bragging about you, you know, and and uh, and and I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm 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 the host of the show, but everybody talks about Laura. Oh, she's so sweet. She just asks all the right questions. If I was there, that's the same question I was I would ask, and that is such a great value, you know, to have someone like yourself that that doesn't that, know anything. I know, but but you know what? That's just it. You know, just enough to ask the perfect questions, and you do a good job at that, and. Not only do I appreciate it, but I just want you to know that our listeners do too, because they comment about it frequently. Well, so uh, you're you're a big part of it. We really appreciate that. Thank you. That's very nice. Now I'm going to be nervous. So, <laughs> <laughs> so on that happy note, what are we talking about this week? <laughs> well, today, today, Laura, we're going to talk about how many different ways there are to skin a cat. And okay. um, let me kind of <laughs> preface that by saying, you know. The number one question that I get from anybody and everybody when it comes to what I do for a living is how. They want to know how you do this or how you do that. And, and I've had some people tell me, well, that's not how you told me to do it last time. And it, and it kind of makes me chuckle. And I think of my summer many years ago when I had the opportunity to go up there and visit with Tom Dorrance. And, um, uh, and I really want to say how grateful I am to Jack Brainerd for setting that whole thing up. He set it up to where I could go up there and spend 10 days with Tom and And bless his heart, he was already pretty much not doing much. He walked around a little hand canes, and uh, when he was walking, the rest of the time he was in a golf cart going from point A to point B. But listening to him that week that I was up there was incredibly rewarding, but at the same time, Laura, it was unbelievably frustrating. And until finally one day, I said, Mr. Dorn, we were eating supper, and I just put my knife and fork down. I said, you know, you're you're worse than my granddad. And he looked at me kind of funny, so well. How's that? And I says, well, I've asked my granddad questions since I was a little kid. And I can hardly remember a time that my granddad answered a question straightforward. It was usually he would either ask me another question or he'd make some statement that I didn't even think was even related. And Mr. Dorrance, I'll ask you a question and you always answer, well, it depends. Or, well, I might do. You never do answer my questions directly. And he mentioned something to me that I'm going to mention in this podcast. He mentioned to me, Well, Van, if you was to ask me and you was to ask 10 other trainers how they might do something, you're probably going to end up with at least 10 different answers. And then he grinned real big and he says, you know, if you ask me on 10 different days how to do the same thing, you might end up with 10 different answers. He said, son, the way you do something and how you do something might be infinite. So when people ask me the how, I really try to think of what what are they really asking me? What do they really want to know about 
what it is that's frustrating them. What are they really asking me about what they really want to know? Because I know they really do want to know the answer, how do you do X or how do you do Y? I know they are wanting that answer because that's the same things that I was asking Mr. Dorrance. But the older I get and the more horses that I work with, the more I chuckle at that response. If you ask me, Van, on 10 different days, I might give you 10 different answers. So when people ask me how to do something, I want them to understand that how is very important, but at the same time, I don't want them to think that there's one particular how way to do it. Because if there was only one way to do it, they could just have a little bitty little checkbook in their pocket. And when they did that, they could just check it off. And it would be, the problem would be resolved if it was that easy. But the answer is, is that it might not be resolved. So now what do you do? And you ask yourself again, well, now how do I do? Or now what do I do? And you just keep plugging away at those until eventually you keep peeling back. And I hate to use the old cliche, but you just keep peeling back the the layers of that onion until you finally get to the core. And there is where you want to focus. There's so many different ways to achieve something. And as long as your end goal is achieved and accomplished, then it really doesn't matter so much of the how. And you've heard me say that before on this show, which is focus much more on the why. If you focus on the why, the hows just have some sort of magical way of taking care of themselves if you truly understand why you're doing something and why you're trying to achieve something, why you want something, why does it matter? In other words, if you focus on those why things, then it just seems like the hows just seem to start taking care of themselves a little bit better. So I guess that's what I want folks to think about with this one, the, the how versus the why. Well, and I can see that the the how often is going to depend on the why. And that's why the, you know, for instance, if you're, if you're trying to correct a certain behavior in your horse, how you do that may depend on why the horse is behaving that way. Exactly. Yeah. Because see, if, and sometimes if we focus too much on the how, then we begin to question ourselves. Well, if I didn't get the result I want, then I, might, I must not be doing it right. Or my horse must be stupid. My horse is not getting it right because they're focusing too much on the how. And, that, and oftentimes when you focus on that too much and you focus on that immediate goal too much, then oftentimes if you don't get the answer that you're expecting and you're not disciplined enough to maybe lower or change your expectations ever so slightly because you don't truly understand the why, then you're going to set yourself up again for frustration. So what I want folks to realize is the hows, just like Mr. Dorrance said, the hows might be infinite. But if you understand the why, then you can start working toward the goals a little bit more. You can almost start adjusting your expectations a little bit. Sometimes you need to expect more. Sometimes you need to expect less. But as you do that, based on your why you're doing something, then as a result, your frustration level goes down because then you know that every time the horse gives you an answer, I want folks to listen to this one really carefully. Every time you ask your horse to do something, every time he gives you an answer, it's the correct answer. Mm -hmm. It might not be what you want, but it's correct Mm -hmm. because, and again, I'm going to Go back to a previous episode. We talked about something I learned from Mr. Ray Hunt several years ago. The horse is always right because he's either doing what comes naturally to him or he's doing what he thinks you want him to do. 
So either way, he's right. But more specifically to us in this particular situation, the reason there's no wrong answer is because if you get what you want, boom, he got it correct. If he doesn't give you what you want, then you know, then the, that answer is not wrong either because now you know that that way of asking, that particular how, did not achieve your goal. So let's mark that one off. Let's not try that again. Because if you keep doing that over and over and over again, both you and the horse are going to get frustrated. So let's just mark that one off and figure out a different how and a different way to ask. And then let's be settling or ready for that answer. If it's what you want, good, quit asking. If it's not, either ask again or figure out a different way to ask. But you see, there's no wrong answers. And so oftentimes it's just how we choose to look at those problems, if you will, when they present themselves. So now with me knowing that and me seeing people struggling with that and me knowing the horses and we seeing the things that the horses are struggling with from their owners, now hopefully folks can realize why sometimes it can be very frustrating when people ask how to do something. I want to dig deeper and see, and oftentimes I do, well, why do you want to know? Well, what do you mean what I want him to know? I want my horse to stop when I say stop. Why do you, why do you need him to stop? Have you mastered their, the going forward thing yet? If you haven't mastered that, then just enjoy the ride. Keep going. Keep mastering the forward motion. And now that you're going forward the way that you want, can you control his forward movement? Can you go left? Can you go right? Can you go fast? Can you go slow? Can you go all those things in between? Can you speed him up? Can you slow him down? Why are you worried about stopping the sucker when you don't even have him going yet, you see? So if we get people to understand the why, and suddenly in the pro- it helps them learn to prioritize things. And when you have things prioritized, it's much easier to break things down in little bitty steps. And as we talked about in episode 60, when you break things down in little bitty steps, you create habits of achievement and habits of success. And that's why I want people to focus a lot more on the how, or on the why, rather, and not so much on the how. The hows, the hows will take care of themselves as long as they really, really focus on all the reasons why and just ask themselves those questions. Well, yeah, and it seems to me that the hows are kind of... Those are, those are like the tools you have in your toolbox for, you know, all, all those hows are those tools. And the best tool in the world is no good to you if you don't know when and where and why to use it. Yep, exactly. Yep. And, you know, and the other thing, too, about whenever we understand the, the why and we're very humble and we don't think that there's only just one way to do it. It really makes life more fun for us and it makes life more fun for the horses because then you can get the same thing achieved perhaps in several different ways, which keeps things fresh for us. You know, it keeps things fresh for our horse. It keeps us honest. It keeps the horses honest and it helps to eliminate sometimes that frustration and that dull hum, humbug type thing that, that takes place with the boredom of, of sometimes riding our horses. And for those who are in boarding facilities and don't get to go out riding much and they only get to ride around in little small arenas, sometimes they get bored and their horses get bored. So let's experiment a little bit with how to do things in different ways, because there are more than one way to skin a cat. But at the same time, don't mix it up so much that it gets confusing. You see, just do things a little differently from time to time and and achieve things a little differently from time to time. So that it just keeps you entertained, it keeps your horse entertained, it keeps things fun for you, it keeps things interesting for your horse, and and hopefully again eliminating some of those some of those frustrations. And let's just face it, sometimes certain things just don't work, you know, the way it does for somebody somebody else. So sometimes exploring a lot different ways of of doing things helps us find the way that works best for us. You know, Laura, I remember used to 
I, I used to say, oh, I'm bored. I'd, I'd never do that. And mm-hmm. I'd, I'd see a trainer do something and I'd say to myself, Ooh, I wouldn't, Ooh, you couldn't catch me ever doing that. But you know, when you work with enough horses, you find yourself doing sometimes whatever it takes to get the horse to understand. Yeah. And you, you, as, as long as it's not cruel, you know, in other words, sometimes you just have to do things that sometimes you never thought you would ever do. But, you know, when you do that and it's not abusive or not cruel to the horse and it, and it achieves, and then the next time you ask, the horse does it better and it gets better and better as you progress. Now look back in the mirror and ask yourself that question. Now, see there, you told yourself you would never do that and you caught yourself doing it. What I recommend to people all the time, and I tell you, I, I gotta, I'm going to say this too, Laura, it frustrates me so badly. Oh, well, I do it the Van Hargis way, or I did this the other way, the such and such trainer way. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm, I'm flattered that you would say that you do it my way, but you know what? I don't have a way. I don't have a way. I don't, it's, there's no Van Hargis method. I appreciate people thinking it, but there's no Van Hargis method. My method is which whatever works for that horse. And yes, it puts a lot of burden on me to figure out how horses work. What do they think? So my homework's already been done. I try and work diligently to understand horses for what they are. I do. I study that literally on a daily basis. But the more I understand the horses, the more I chuckle when people ask me if, if I do it my way. I don't have a way. I just do whatever works for the horse. I want to do it in a way that makes sense to the horse. And as I do that, I find ways that work good for me. I have, I have preferential ways. You know, if I was going to get a, teach a horse how to do a flying lead change, I have something that feels really good to me and little exercises and things that I do that help me be very successful at teaching horses how to do really good, smooth flying lead changes. But man, every time I go to, to an expo or every time I get an opportunity to watch another trainer, guess what I do? I watch those guys. I study those guys. I'm looking for other ways that I can learn how to do flying lead changes because I never know when I'm going to run across that horse that might not understand the way I'm trying to do it. So I learn another way how to do it and I focus on why I want it and I focus on different ways to understand how to do it. So again, there's more than one ways to skin a cat. <laughs> you know, and I think that's, it's interesting as you were, as you were saying that it seems kind of out of the ordinary in in the horsemanship world, and I don't, you know, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but for you, there are trainers who kind of say there is a way to do it. This is the method you should be using. This is the method that works. And uh, I've always thought that's a little odd if there is a method that works all the time in the horsemanship world, then it's the only part of the world where that's true. (laughs) Because in, (laughs) in any other circumstance, you know, there are a multitude of ways to get things done and different ways work for different people. And in this case for different horses. So, so I I find that interesting that to hear you saying, you know, there's not a Van Hargis method. The method is what works for me and for this animal that's in front of me right now. Exactly. You know, it's funny, Laura, I went to, um, I, and I may have told this story before on the podcast. I tell it to my clients frequently, and I oftentimes tell it at the horse expos. Several, several years ago now, I was asked by the Oklahoma State Fair to come up there and do some cult starting demonstrations. Uh, well, actually, I was asked to do four demonstrations a day for the duration of the state fair. During that time, I started nine cults under saddle in 10 days' time. 
And this one particular young man was there for every presentation, and he stayed specifically for the cult starting demonstrations. Well, at the end of the fair, as we were loading our horse trailer up and getting everything in there to go back home, he quietly came over to me, notebook in hand, and he told me how much he appreciated the presentations that I did. And he had learned a lot, but he had this kind of confused look on his face. So I just kind of paused for a moment and and, uh, looked at him. He said, but Mr. Hargis, I got to ask you. He said, you know, there's a few things I'm a bit confused about. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to confuse you, but I really appreciate you watching all all those nine cult starting demonstrations. So so what's, what's your question? He said, well, sir, I saw you start these nine cults, but Mr. Van, you didn't do the same thing twice. And I just chuckled and I said, no, sir, I sure didn't. I didn't have the same horse twice. The starting spot was the same, meaning that every horse came into the arena, barely halter broke and never ridden. The goal was the same. I wanted to get on the horse quietly, uneventfully and ride it around the arena. But the process you see was slightly different with every horse. I remember there was one horse that I, I didn't mess with him for 10 minutes before I put a saddle on him and climbed on him. And he was fine with that. We did almost everything that we wanted to do under saddle because he was so quiet and so calm and so relaxed. I remember another horse, though, I didn't go on him until about the last 10 minutes of the demonstration because he needed so much more attention. He needed more groundwork. He needed more confidence. He needed more trust. So we worked very diligently on, on establishing those things. And then as a result, we figured out what system, if you will, worked best for that cult. Mm. Now, if somebody was to really be videoing, videotaping each one of those presentations, I wonder which one of those they would have chosen to label the Van Hargis method. <laughs> yeah. There was nine different methods because there were nine different cults. Now, the horsemanship, I'm going to repeat that part. The horsemanship was the same. The horsemanship was the study of the animal, understanding that horse, mm. understanding I needed forward movement, the control of forward movement, the stopping of forward movement. I needed trust. I needed respect. I needed confidence. I needed to develop all those other things in our journey of horsemanship so that I could achieve the goal. And the goal in this case was to make those particular clients happy by getting their cults ridden at the Oklahoma State Fair, you see. But the process was different. So I I really get confused sometimes when egos take a hold and they name certain things after themselves. And I'm like, oh, wow, how in the heck did that happen? (laughs) How How did that work? And I don't mean anything negative against those other guys. In fact, you know me well enough, Laura, to know that I respect other trainers to the hilt. There's so much more I can learn and we all can learn from almost everyone in this industry in one way or the other. Yeah. But I still chuckle when I hear people claim a particular method. I just because it's I understand why they do it. There you go with the why again. I understand why they do it. It's just marketing, right? They're just putting dollars in their pockets, and I totally grasp that. But it, I think sometimes too, from the consumer perspective, it's got to be a little bit confusing. Yeah. Because if they go home and they try that, and that method doesn't work for that person or for that horse in that particular scenario on that given day, then it's got to be frustrating to that person or to that horse on that given day. Yeah. You know, so I just want folks to think about it. But, you know, I also get tickled, too, about horsemanship. And, and I'm very honored that two of my mentors kind of put the title, if you will, of Master Horseman on me. I, I, I honestly never thought I was really worthy of it, but I really appreciate the two gentlemen, respect the two gentlemen that kind of tagged that on to me. And, 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 I, and now I kind of wear that badge with great honor. But I'm telling you, just because I've got that little badge doesn't mean that the horsemanship has stopped. 
For example, think about the profession that you're in, Laura. You are in one of the top two professions, I would say, in the world that is extremely demanding, both educational-wise, career-wise, and everything, and yet they still call it practicing law. Yeah. They call it practicing medicine. I look at my profession, I think, you know what? I'm just practicing horsemanship. I, I'm never going to be perfect at it. Yeah. It's a daily practice. Practice to me means that you are a student of the game, that you, I mean, why are, all right, here's another question I have for you in your profession. Why is it you go to a law office and they still have all those great big giant law books up there? Didn't you learn it all already? Didn't you graduate? Didn't you get through law school? So why do you have all those books? And that's because they're references for you to continue to do your job the best you possibly can do for your customers, your clients, and your law firm. I look at the exact same thing with us with horses. Now, granted, we don't have volumes and volumes of law books, volumes and volumes of medical journals, but we've got volumes and volumes of horses. And those are our textbooks. Those are our journals. Those are the things we got to be cracking the pages open and studying because the more we study and the more we practice, then the more we can learn so that we can help them and then at the same time help other people. That's the practice of horsemanship. Yeah, and and I can totally see that. And that really goes to the heart of what you, what I think this episode is about, this how versus why. Both of those require learning on the part of the horseman or the horsewoman. You you need to learn as many of the hows as you can. Those are, like we said earlier, those are the tools in your tool belt. And you can learn those from uh, watching other, you know, other trainers, other, other horsemen and horsewomen who actually know what they're doing, you know, learn what they do, but there's not a checklist that you can go, all right, if I do A, B, C, and D, I will get E result. That's never going to happen. So you got to have as many of those hows um, learned. Those are skills you you can learn, but you also got to learn the why. And that's, that's, I I think what you were just saying that you study the horses to get the why we can study each other to learn some hows, but you got to study the horses to, to really understand the why. And that never stops. Right. Exactly. That is so true. Isn't it? We, it just never stops. If you're with horses, it never stops, never stops. There's always so many different ways to skin that cat. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, uh, it's just amazing, isn't it? You know, and it's, it's one thing I really do enjoy about the horses is it, um, and, and you know, I've been doing this for a long time, Laura. A lot of folks don't know, but I mean, I started riding horses when I was itty bitty. I mean, I was only four years old when I got plopped onto a horse. Might've been a little bit younger when I got plopped up there, but I started kind of riding my little pony, if you want to call it that, around when I was about four. And then um, not long after that, I was put on, they called me the flea on the elephant because the horse I learned to ride was well over 16 hands and I'm only four years old. So my legs were literally barely even off the horse's rib cage. I was the flea on the elephant. Um, at the age of 12, though, I started riding horses for the public. And I'll be the first to admit I was riding horses for the public. I can't say that I was a trainer. I had no idea what I was doing. I just climbed on board and rode the living heck out of the horses, and I got them kid broke. I mean, literally kid broke to the point where I could swing out of trees and onto the horse's back and put my pets up in the saddle with me and you name it. Just got the horse kid broke. But people paid me to do it, so I was happy to do it. But I realized too, though, Laura, that those were just the early stages of learning. 
And along that time, from then until now, it's been a constant learning. I've been exposed to so many different types of horsemen and horsewomen. Some, quite frankly, weren't worth salt. And then there were others that were just absolutely phenomenal that I would aspire to be like until the day that I die. They're just so good at what they do. And I can honestly say that from each, I've learned something. Some, I learned what not to do. Others, I've learned what to do and what to try to do. From others, I've yet learned to think in a way that is so much different. And that's what I really want to encourage our listeners to do is is go into any situation where there are horses or where there are horse people with a big, giant open sack and just dump whatever they have, whatever nugget they give you, drop that into your little sack and just keep dropping it in there. Keep dropping in there. Every once in a while, dig around and study one of those things a little bit and and just keep dropping those things into your sack. Every time you go to a clinic, every time you go to visit with another horseman or another trainer, every time you go to a horse expo, every time you get around a horse, take a little nugget away and drop it in your sack. And that little sack is like this little reference thing that you could just reach in there and you might look in there one day and you might discover how you might do something. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said before, there's been plenty of times, oh, I'd never do that. But you know what? I've been carrying around a great big sack and I might run across a horse that makes me start digging around in there until I figure out which little nugget worked for that sucker. And that's what I want to encourage people to do is just figure, just be kind of humble about the thing when you're approaching a horse, you're approaching a problem, you're approaching an, an issue, even with your own personal life. And just understand, you know what? There's an answer somewhere. I've just got to work hard enough to find it. And I've got to be humble enough to be able to make changes and adjustments and adaptations along the way, whatever works best for me and whatever works best for my horse. So again, there's just more ways than one to do it. And I really want to encourage people to study that. Well, that's a, you know, it's a great thing to be thinking about uh, as we're, people are headed out to the barn and to work with their horses to think about, you know, not just the how, but the why, why you're doing what you're doing, why your horse is doing what it's doing. You've given us a lot of things to think about, Van, and I'm guessing that people may have questions. And uh, so I would invite anyone who's listening, if you've got a question about something Van has said in this episode or a comment in any way or a story to share about how this is applied in your horsemanship journey. Van wants to hear those things. Am I wrong? Van? You bet. <laughs> no, absolutely. I definitely yeah. want to hear those. And you know what? I, I had a great request the other day. And, um, and when you mentioned, you know, share those stories, I had a great request the other day, Laura, because you, you've heard me tell stories about some of the days when I was doing cattle work and I would do day work for different ranches. And, and I might tell stories either about myself or I might tell stories about some of the guys we worked with. I think in, in a future episode, Laura, we're going to have one of those days we're going to share a couple of stories. Another thing we're going to do is I've had <laughs> we've had some folks share some stories with me that after I'm reading them, I'm thinking, holy smokes. And I sent an email back. Can I share this with listeners? And a few <laughs> folks have said yes. So uh, I think I think I want to encourage people to continue to do that. Give us those funny little anecdotal things that might happen in their life with their horses or their experiences. And when they send me something they wouldn't mind me sharing, just put at the bottom of that. Don't mind you sharing this. And, and we certainly will. And at the same time, there's been a few that whatever you do, Van Hargis, do not put this on Rider Stride. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll have to answer that some of those questions on a more of a private level. But 
I do want to encourage people to share their stories and share the things, and especially about this particular episode. Let us know what you think. Let us know what what you thought about the why versus the how, and how many different ways there are to skin a cat and and get something accomplished with your horse. And uh, most importantly, Laura, I just really hope that the things that we discuss on here benefit folks. I really hope that they they grasp something from the podcast that we deliver because I have to say, and you know, my heart, I I do this because I love it. I love. The, I, I love knowing that people are enjoying their horses and, and that they're happy. Yeah. You know, it, it kind of makes me happy to know that other people are, are encouraged to do the things that they enjoy that, that bring happiness to their life. So, and, uh, yeah. So, so if you've got comments, questions, suggestions, or stories to share, there are various ways you can do that. You can comment uh, on this episode on the website. You can post a comment or a question in the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page. Or if it's one of those things that you'd like to share with Van privately, you can do that by emailing him at info at vanhargis.com. And he'll, he'll look forward to, to uh, seeing that. Lots of information available for you on the vanhargis.com on the website. Anything specific you want to point out that they should be looking for when they visit the website, Van? Well, we are, I, I don't know if I've made the public announcement yet, but we are moving to our new facility very soon, Laura. And as we do that, we're going to start hosting more and more events, everything from mini clinics. And those mini clinics are open to whoever wants to sign up first. It is a first come first serve basis. And let me describe what a mini clinic is. A mini clinic is where we have, oh, four to six hours that we've earmarked for the day. We can either do it early in the morning or we can do it mid morning. And we, But either way, we're going to four to six hours of the day. And it's very intense. It's not like the typical clinic where somebody rides for a little while and then everybody else just kind of stands around and watches. This is four hours of intensive work, and I accept no no more than four riders per mini clinic. So be on the lookout on our website for when we're going to post those. Uh, in the very near future, we're also going to be doing at least one clinic per month at our home facility down here in Victoria, Texas. I'm not going to be doing all of those clinics myself. I'm going to only do four a year here, and then our others, of course, we're traveling to everybody else's neck of the woods, which means if they want us to do a clinic in their area, all they need is a venue and we need to earmark a date and time and we will come to your area to do a clinic. We just need the invitation and we need a facility to do it. The clinics that we're doing here though, will be once a month and we will have all sorts of different clinicians from different parts uh, of the country and in different disciplines. We've got some great hunter-venter people that are uh, interested in coming doing clinics at our new facility. We've got ropers. We've got barrel racers. We've got trail riders. We've got a trail obstacle course we'll be setting up on the facility as well. So we really want to encourage people to, to visit our website and look for those dates and times that we're going to start hosting those clinics here at our own facility. But in the meantime, just know that we will come to your area. All we need is an invitation and a venue. So there you go. If, uh, if, you would like more of Van than you can get just from listening to the podcast, although he gives lots of good information. There are some things that are best learned in person and on a horse. And so Van can come to your area to do a clinic there. Obviously, he, he does the various expos and things. The schedule for those, uh, you'll find that in the calendar section there on the website. Along with information about the Top Hand Club, which is a great resource if you're looking for 
more information, more of those hows uh, that we talked about earlier. So all kinds of stuff that you're going to find by visiting vanhargis.com. Of course, the store there where you can pick up the various items of tack and different things that Van has designed and worked with other people. Uh, You can buy those right there on the website, I, I believe, still can do that, right? Absolutely. You betcha. Yeah. yeah. And we almost always have some sort of special on the website as well. So just visit that store and you can see the specials. And don't forget, if you're a top pan member, you automatically get a 10% discount on anything in there. 10%. So Nara Lara, think about that. If you're buying one of our saddles, let's just say it's 2600 bucks. 10% is $260 off the price of that saddle. One of our customers recently bought one up in Canada. And just for being the top hand club, he paid, uh, he saved enough money to pay the duty on getting his uh, saddle imported. So the the top hand club does have value apart from all the videos and everything else that's on there. So all that information you'll find on the website. And again, that's at vanhargis.com. Easy to find. Drop in and see what's there for you. Anything else, Dan? No, but you know, Laura, I just want to again, just tell everybody how much I appreciate people listening. Thank everybody for their patience as we get rocking and rolling again and getting these things recorded on a regular basis. But in the meantime, I want folks to know that it's your ride, it's your trail, and it's your journey. So ride every stride. Mm-hmm.